outside of the city where things are known to go down Spit around with my lyrics, I'm hitting it from the ground Let me pound, Barney out and the east side beat Confiscate is the ends and it's inside me Street by street, let the bars invigorate your flow When I spit it from the road, they yelling, Barney, let's go Let me flow, spitting my song, Barney repping my home Never alone, I'm keeping the fire, pass me the coat uh, Life's a journey, so making friends is the best Home is somewhere where you're spending the best Always sitting with my jeans in the heat Grab a falafel, try eating bees Let me speak what I see uh, See what I speak when I'm breathing on bees Keep my side for complete uh, East side is where I call home Come to ends, fam, I'll show you what I am I miss the days when we were rolled Parkside cafe strolls Then back to mine Almost every time What a sweet, sweet day to roam Golden undertones Always oh, good to be home Oh, it's good to be home. Good afternoon, and uh, welcome to Steve's Company. Uh, if George lets me speak, I'll get the intro out. This week we'll talk about Man City's Brexit as they good cease to be, to be home. European good citizens, to be home. as well as chatting about Dan Gosling, Minor Figueroa, and any other footballers who we don't think get talked about enough. Well, that citizens pun was really funny, Joel. I wonder who wrote that pun. I couldn't tell you who wrote that pun. Could possibly tell me. It definitely wasn't George. Definitely um, was not me at all in the slightest. So. What's happened this week? George, how's your week been? Oh, my week's been all right, you know, swings and roundabouts. Tell us about some of those swings and roundabouts. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean you, you, you won at five aside, did you say? Um, we, no, 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 no. We didn't win off six, six aside. Six aside. Um, but you were good. Getting... We've switched to Tuesdays rather than Thursdays, Big which news. is huge news. I'm surprised um, it wasn't mentioned earlier. Yeah, and, and other things that have happened. Um, we took the lead for the first ever time <gasps> in a six aside match. So we actually went one nil up, which was absolutely incredulous. The scenes. And then we were pegged back to one all. Okay. But then we took the lead, and it was 2-1. Oh, my goodness. Yep. And then we went, for the first time ever, we were winning at half-time. Well, okay. But then our centre-back got a stitch. Who's the centre-back? Um, this guy called Ole Jorgensen, okay. Scarlet. He's in the Develis squad, you know, and he's in the St. Andrews 7th. And he got a stitch. So, so he got a stitch, um, and we then ended up conceding four goals in the space of about five minutes and lost 5-2. Oh, no. Yeah, we had a little slump, but, you know, otherwise we were we put in a fantastic performance. One of the best first halves I've seen of one anyone. Of the be- <laughs> it is truly a game of two halves, you know. They say it for a reason, it's because it's true. Um, how have, what have Cardiff done this week? What have Cardiff done this week? We, um, well, I mean, we are now in a cheeky eight-match unbeaten run oh in the league. Um, was there a midweek um, f- programme? Was there a midweek programme? Yeah, I believe so. I believe we played on Wednesday and we won away at... L- no, 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 no. Yeah, we've won back-to-back away games now, I think, against Luton and... I want to say Stoke. It was Huddersfield, Huddersfield. on Wednesday. Yeah, we've got all of those nil. sort of strugglers. We've got them all. Oh, yeah, we won 3-0. And then um, it was our biggest win of the season because okay. we've been really poor in terms of scoring. And it's really nice to keep a clean sheet as well. Um, Alex Smithy seems like he's going to keep on to the number one jersey for a while mm-hmm. um, because Neil Etheridge has been quite poor this season. Yeah. Um, his issue's been with delivery because obviously what made him a really good stopper in the in the Premier League was his shot stopping. Mm-hmm. But although obviously we're not sort of top of the championship... That's less important right now. There have been fewer instances of having to have yeah, the day saved by a shot stop, which Alex Smithies is more than capable of doing, yeah. as he's shown on multiple occasions. But it's more about can we counterattack? Can we get that distribution out? Which 
for some reason, would have been our tactic in the Premier League as well. So I don't know why it's only now that Neil mm. Etheridge's awful, god-awful distribution and kicking has come has come to um, the surface. Because part of the problem is his kicks aren't dreadful. Mm. Then, you know, the, um, he, um, he doesn't have the best accuracy in the world. Yeah. But I think an issue is that when there are opportunities on to be countering and we've got those fast players now like Albert Adoma, Junior Hoylet, yeah. Nathaniel Mendes-Lang until he got injured, Josh Murphy who scored five in his last six um, and we've got these counter-attacking options. Yeah. He'll hold on to the ball from a corner say or from a set piece and we'll be like ready to a counter-attack but he will just hold on to it oh, okay. go and then dummy kick it and then dummy kick oh, it again yeah, yeah. and takes forever and by the time that he's gotten away that kick the counter-attacking opportunity's yeah. gone and that's cost us a lot of um, pivotal Good attacking chances, opportunities yeah. especially considering like the Premier League last season there's been a lot of um, the, um, Cardiff aren't renowned for our possession football yeah. so there's been a lot of reliance on countering and when your goalkeeper it seems like he's Determined to refuse to counterattack, he had to had to be dropped. Fair enough. And he uh, Cardiff had sat in ninth place. They yep. are three points three points off the playoffs. Preston are in sixth. Yep. It, as we've been saying pretty much all season, it's an incredibly tight race for the playoffs. Incredibly tight race. Do you, do you think playoffs? Cardiff could get the playoffs or like? I think they'll... it comes down to the next three weeks. Mm. I know that's a very easy thing to say because <laughs> yeah, there yeah. aren't that many weeks left in the season, but. We've got an away game at Stoke, an away game at Barnsley. Mm. We've actually kind of been better on the road than at home this season. Okay. Um, picking up the scrappy wins away, whereas we've not been able to hold on at home. But, so so those two games are pivotal. We went to Luton and won, and we went to um, Huddersfield yeah. and won, um, but we, managed, um, we drew at home to Wigan yesterday. Mm-hmm. So those are three of the five strugglers that we had to play. So now we have to go to Stoke and we have to go to Barnsley and pick up six points. Yeah. And then we but the reason I think the next couple of weeks determines it is because our next three home games are against Nottingham Forest, Brentford and Leeds. So against second, fourth and fifth yeah. are our next three okay. home games. So huge. Points against those would make a lot of ground up on the playoffs. Thing, a lot of ground. I mean, yeah. Currently in there. Okay. And it would also make other teams a lot more scared of Cardiff. I think Cardiff is, Cardiff is into, so inconsistent yeah. that they can win any game. And we're not going to be finishing third, you know. And But we often see with the playoffs that the team that tends to be successful is the team that picks up the late run of form and sneaks in. Sneaks into sixth, yeah. yeah my sneaky was little that, money is on Blackburn that, sneaking into Villa, sixth. Was that Aston Villa last season? It was Blackpool back in 2010. Okay. Um, it was Fulham when they won the playoffs. Yes, And went was. up because they were doing awfully up until Christmas and then they Maybe. charged. Yeah. And I think they would have won the league if the league had been played only in the second half mm-hmm. of the season. But they had such a bad start to the season that, um, yeah. although they did finish third or fourth, um, they were essentially the, the late charges the in that sense. Carried yeah. them through the playoffs as well. That's what, that's what matters. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, maybe Brentford might end up with ninety-five points and Cardiff seventy. Mm. But if we've won our last four games on the bounce and Brentford have got three draws and a loss, mm. you know your money would be on Cardiff in those situations. Yeah, so that, that's Cardiff's kind of week. Arsenal haven't played a game. We're kicking off at about 22 minutes time against Newcastle. How many and minutes time? 22. To be precise. To be very precise. Fantastic. Um, but our centre-back pairing is, of course, David Luiz and Scott Mustafi. The renowned and, um, um, duo that probably wouldn't even make it into my six-side team, to be no, fair. Uh, <laughs> that centre-back who got a stitch. He yeah. He actually <laughs> came on for Mustafi. <laughs> um, and Early if you're out there. Let us know play. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, the Newcastle striker, Joe Linton, isn't exactly prolific. So I think maybe we'll have a chance to keep him a clean sheet. But Alan Sam-Maximan cutting in into Mustafi is just not going to be a pretty sight. It's not going to be fantastic, but to see, is it? We've got... We're playing, and also we're playing, Danny Rose cutting in. 
Oh, we're playing Danny, we're playing Eddie and Ketia, which is exciting, and we'll see how he does. But the thing that's kind of in my head is that Danny Rose is making his Newcastle debut today. I think I might be wrong, but he's certainly not played many games for them. And his debut for Tottenham uh, as like an eighteen-year-old or something was in uh, was in was against against Arsenal in a four-four. I think I'm right in saying where Tottenham came back from about four two, four one down or something. Um, I think Joel, your hesitance um, or, or your hesitating here is um, is undue, considering we both know for a fact that you literally wrote an article on this last I, semester. Was this the same game? It's the same I, game. I know isn't I did it? write it's an the article. four-all game. It Arsenal is. Tottenham is the game that you regretted missing. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it was because I went to bed having seen that Danny bed. Rose goal go in, and then it was like four-one, and. Uh, we went to bed. I was at my friend's house. He was an Arsenal fan. His we dad went to bed. Well. We didn't go to bed. Joel didn't know you at the time. Well, um, we, as in myself and my friend, um, and we had we you know got into bed and the game had finished by the time we were actually like going to sleep. Yeah, and it, so obviously you were having a cool sleepover, so you were staying oh, yeah. up all night. Oh yeah, 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 big big time. We we planned the midnight snack, the the dawn raid, whatever. Huge. We had we obviously had. Um, <laughs> and his dad obviously, came that would be disrespectful dad came, dad came into the, his dad came into the room dad you just called him dad there. I said his dad, <laughs> dad. his his father came into the room daddy came into like, the room what, what pappy you, entered the premises the game's finished what do you think what do you think the score was mm-hmm. we were like oh 4-0 4-1 easy too easy and he went no 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 we were 4-3 and it finished 4-4 and we'd missed the whole comeback, and we were fuming. We, fuming. We slept, we slept fuming. Oh, I'm raging. Danny, Rose, Danny Rose's goal was a good strike from quite far out, but Manuel Almunia, it was not, wasn't, didn't cover himself in glory. We'll say that. So, right. there's anything that you can say about Arsenal that the only thing that's probably better about Arsenal right now is their keeper. Yeah, Bert Leno. He yeah, is not bad. So that's the chat about Arsenal, and we we filled ten minutes. Of the show. And in catcher, we filled a... ten minutes of the show with Cardiff playing a couple of games and Arsenal playing no games. You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> we are here every week to do this. Gosh, so, we really do possess a pizzazz for conversation, <laughs> don't we? The chat. So the, the chat big, is the on biggest fire. news this week. I think pretty comfortably, with no with not much Premier League football actually happening, is so off that the pitch, bloody winter break, which we love. Don't we, don't we just love it. <laughs> I think we do, and we don't. You know, uh, it's don't. one of those. <laughs> um, that Man That's City one for the regular listeners have been banned. <laughs> Anyone here last week? You don't. Um, They've been banned for two years from UEFA competition and the Premier League is currently considering what punishment they might bring as well after Manchester City... Playing in League 2. They'll be playing in League 2 next season. After Man City broke rules, FFP rules, about how much of a loss you can make every year on your your finances, but not only broke the rule, but then lied to make sure it didn't look like... Yes, by all accounts, um, from what Joel has been researching, Man Mm. City have been very, very naughty boys over the last decade. So I'd like Joel to just explain um, what it is that you found in your research, which kind of conclusively shows that although Manchester City are kicking up a fuss, they are certainly in the wrong in the sense of it is not disputed that they have broken the laws and they have not said they um you know they've no, not denied they've really, yeah, that. exactly they've almost not denied that they broke the rules so i've got a got a bit of a history going on in the end of the 2006-2007 season man city lost 8 8 8-1 to middlesbrough in the last day of the season looking very sad all around in, uh, in 2007 taxin sinawatra a thai businessman came in and bought the club and he spent big initially and also borrowed a load of money because his the money he kind of claimed to have wasn't particularly stable and the interest he got in his loans was like far too big for him to be able to pay back, and he had corruption charges against him in Thailand. So City were in big trouble that they might go into the financial difficulties of, say, Leeds and Portsmouth in previous years. They were looking like another one of those clubs. But kind of thankfully for them, Sheikh Mansour 
a member of the Abu Dhabi royal family came in and bought the club and saved it from its debt, paid it all off. And so that's when kind of that Abu Dhabi royal family com- like commenced their strategy of how to grow the city brand. They spent huge money in the first few years, not worrying about a strategy of how to build a team or anything like that, not worrying about how much they were going to spend on wages and transfer fees. The goal was basically to grow the brand of Manchester City and grow the image of the club before then strategizing about how to make the best team they could. They um, made huge financial losses on play- paying for players like Robinho's wages and I said Gareth Barry because I couldn't think of anyone else the other day. I'm sure there were others. Carlos Tevez came in. The face of English football. Honestly, yeah. So a lot of big signings, a lot of big wages played. James but, Milner as well. Yeah, he was, yeah, I mean, he was a big player at the time. He um, still is, I'd say. Nice, yeah. Bigger now, almost. Uh, so they spent <laughs> that, wasn't, wow. that wasn't a very good chat for me so they <laughs> made huge financial losses but at that time there weren't financial fair play rules to stop this so the owner could just keep underwriting them any loss made and it was could fine just pay off and yeah. like, that was uh, lots of the kind of established big clubs like United very upset Real Madrid Bayern Munich they were like is this fair that a club can just not organically grow a fan base based on history but instead just pump loads of money in and get a good team that way um so then that kind of action and that pressure from the established clubs caused UEFA to bring in a rule, the, the financial fair play rules. And they, clubs could only then make a loss of 30 million euros over a three-year period. They couldn't make more losses than that. In euros. In euros. Before we voted leave. Wow. Not for long. We're reclaiming. Well, I would convert that to pounds, but I can't be bothered. So in 2009, <laughs> Manchester City signed a sponsorship deal with Etihad, who were the national airline of Abu Dhabi. Very conveniently. Um, and it was a it was the biggest sponsorship deal of uh, in the world that like the biggest of all time at that. Are at we that um, are we aware of the relationship between the owners of Manchester City and Etihad, the company itself? Um, Etihad is the national airway, and it's owned by another member of the royal family, but not not like a brother or anything like that. I think they're far enough away that FFP rules weren't particularly breached by that relationship because right. there are also laws about that. You yep. can't have the owner and the whoever runs the sponsoring company be like brothers, but they can be. Like they can know they can Third know each other. Cousins anyway, they know they are certainly either know each other or related to. And if you're a member of a royal family, and the national airline of that company is probably quite influenceable by that royal family. So the, the, the accusation's kind of been rumbling for a long time that the owners use this sponsorship just to pump money in, and they'll they'll say that Etihad are giving loads of money when most of that will actually come directly from the royal family, and not not much of it will come from the the company. Lying. Itself basically using that as a way to underwrite the losses that they have been doing before, but just to circumvent the rules. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that's been an accusation. And in 2014, they, um, in 2014, they were punished to an extent by UEFA for, for breaking financial fair play rules. They hadn't, this, that operation hadn't really worked in 2014. They had made a loss and they admitted it to UEFA, in UEFA and they were fined 49 million euros but given a lot of it back because they visibly improved their business model and kept their wages uh, stable for the next few years and their Champions League squad was reduced to 21 players. So they they were given a bit of a slap on the wrist then, but they complied again and it was kind of forgotten about. And over the last few years, kind of since that punishment, Manchester City have been reporting that they've made profit for the first time since the takeover. And the sponsorship of Metiad has been kind of been a mystery as to how, but they that's been a big part of how they've been making money because the broadcasting revenue for a club is set by their central organisation. So you wait for Champions League games and the Premier League Premier League games. That can't really be tampered with by a club. Match day income is reliant on stadium size, which isn't that changeable. The, the most changeable thing is sponsorship income, mm-hmm. which is what Etihad have been 
and also the most lucrative thing in a lot of clubs yeah in certainly in man united man city and clubs like that yes um so that's kind of it it looked as if the etihad sponsorship was being artificially inflated and this was proven basically um in a, a leak a load of leaked emails that came out in 2018 by football leagues and published in der spiegel in germany but this didn't just say that etihad had been inflating their sponsorship deal but man city had been doing a load more dodgy stuff that is why we're now saying that it's, they haven't got a case. They haven't got a leg to stand on in defending themselves. Here. In when they sacked Roberto Mancini, City had a shortfall of about ten million euros that they weren't. They didn't have the money to cover that without making a loss. Um, they had to cover nine point nine million, and they backdated. They instead of just kind of admitting this, they backdated payments. Say, for example, when City won the FA Cup for the first time after the takeover, they said in one second Mancini they went, "Oh yeah, actually, Etihad paid Man City a load of money for winning the FA Cup." So they have still have this money left. Uh, and that was a lie. They backdated that a few times, made sham contracts with other sponsors to allow Mansour, Mansour, the owner, to give more money to Man City. They set up a company. I don't remember. There was a code name for this. I don't remember what it was. They set up a company that would buy player rights, player image rights off Man City. That was, all, like, that was a sham company just to give more money to Man City for buying player rights. And alongside all that, Roberto Mancini's contract was partly under another club in Egypt, as he was an advisor there, apparently. But that club was also owned by Sheikh Mansour, so he could pay his contract that way as well. So all of that has been shown, and this investigation that's now taken a couple of years to come to fruition has resulted in this ban. All of those things together show that what they were doing is very dodgy. Um, in, kind of unfortunately, in 2014, when they were investigated, um, there are also emails in this leak to show that they threatened UEFA with um, legal action. And Man City are basically richer than UEFA are. Man City could pay for better lawyers for longer to just sue UEFA for years and years and years so as never to really have a punishment against them. And the worry is that they could do the same thing again. But, so, at the end of the day... Um, are there possible legal repercussions for Manchester City in these situations? Legal repercussions? As um, in, like, what they're doing is illegal in the context of football and the, and the laws that have been placed by UEFA, but are they against, sort of, like... Accountancy and financial. I don't think they're. I don't think they're against any country's rules. Okay. So I don't think there's any kind of worry about that. It's the, I guess the worry is that they're post that after their appeal at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is going on at the moment. Yeah. They so, might just do the same thing again of so in, legal action. So in summary, UEFA says Man City's been very naughty. Mm-hmm. Man City almost definitely has been very naughty, and the only leg that Man City is standing on is this idea that the investigation was prejudiced. Yeah, of course. So. I should explain that. Yeah, that's Once, the, yeah, can, and then we'll go on when to the more leaks, interesting. When the leaks came out in 2018, uh, UEFA kind of official was like, this is clearly a solid case. Before any actual investigation was done, this UEFA official was like, we're going to take my city down, basically. They said, this is a concrete case. We're not going to worry about it. We're going to do the investigation. It'll come to this conclusion. Man City claimed that that statement of intent to bring Man City down and the fact that the official was so sure about it shows that it was a prejudicial thing and that they kind of should have the investigation redone or at least annulled for now because it's clearly prejudicial and it wasn't based on fairness so yeah they broke the rules as to how much they saying how much they got in, so they could appear to break even and they lied so they hadn't broken the rules and there are some repercussions for this some issues some some I've been some, talking for a long time some questions <laughs> that arise only a good 10 minutes Joel don't worry about it um 
So, so there have been lots. Um, there's been a lot of hoo ha, a lot of guffaw going around over mm. the last couple of days. Lots of people saying, "Ah, maybe they'll be playing in League Two." But these appear to be sensationalist yeah, headlines brought about by the Daily Star. I think was really? the was the, <laughs> was the reputable newspaper that broke this news. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's something that we need to be sincerely considering. But you know, um, it's not. Uh, and so the sincere repercussions that people believe might be coming from the Premier League side at most is a points deduction. Um, but a points deduction would be seemingly irrelevant in the sense of if they're going to be banned from European competition anyway, and they're not going to win the Premier League. <laughs> and, and I mean, they're obviously not going to win the Premier League. So a points deduction this season would kind of just take them. It wouldn't do anything. All a points deduction does is means that they would get less of a reward for finishing wherever they finish in the That's Premier League, true. which also wouldn't make a difference because to... I think they have enough money anyway. Yeah, that, like that, the money that comes in there is only really significant to like mid-table to lower Premier League clubs financially, yeah. rather than the top ones. However, what is um, um, a situation in which this could be relevant mm-hmm. is if there does exist already in Premier League metrics the amount of points to be deducted or whether it's something that's decided on a case-by-case basis. That's something we don't know. Another thing that we don't know is whether UEFA are going to say, look, you have four Champions League places, mm-hmm. but if Man City finish in the top four, then you will only have three. So we don't know whether that's true. we will continue to have four. You'd like to think, or you would think it fair, that, that the four. Premier League continues to have Rather four. Rather than the whole league being punished. Because it's not the league's fault that, no. that, that Manchester City have done this. And although you know you can say most clubs do this anyway, that's not the point. If, if they haven't been doing it anyway, they should be under investigation, mm. not be being sort of inadvertently punished for Man City's mistakes. Yeah, but if that is what UEFA comes out and says, then it might be in the Premier League's interest to deduct Man City enough points to stop them finishing in a European place. Mm. Because yeah. if that were the case, you would think that uh, we yeah. would continue to have... I imagine that's part of the discussion yeah. Premier League are having with UEFA. So, so, you know, there's some way to iron that out, probably a bit of communication from UEFA and um, the Premier League. Um, the expectation is obviously that we'll re- um, retain these places. Another thing that comes up is Premier, um, um, Man City's players. So, like, even before the season started, there was a huge sort of um, um, focus on... And especially since Liverpool have sort of trounced the mm. league. 25 th- points clear. Yeah. That this is the year, if there ever shall be, this is the year that Man City have to win the, pre- the Champions League because their squad is ageing. The Fernandinho's, the Agueros, the David Silvers, um, the Otamendi's, this is their last shot mm. at, at Champions League glory. In, in, in terms of after this, they're getting on a bit now. Yeah. And if it gets to the point that um, they are going to be banned for two seasons, you'd like to think that or, you, or one would presume that Man City would throw a lot more effort into the Champions League. This could swing one of two ways. Firstly, it could put too much pressure on them, and so they might not perform well. Mm. You know, if you're playing against a team like Juventus, who know they're going to be there next season, they play with a bit more relaxation, and then they win. That is something that's that's capable um, of happening. But also, what might happen is that it will drive Man City's players on to win that uh, that Champions League, especially the ones like Aguero and um, David Silva, who who have, who, who, who are Manchester City and who aren't going to get much of a shot more they're not going to get much of a shot more definitely not with Man City mm. but they're less likely to go and go and play for Real Madrid go and yeah. play for Barcelona and then win the Champions League next season because yeah, if you think of maybe if you think of like you look Edison, at Bernardo Silva Bernardo Edison Silva, De Bruyne Gabriel Jesus Sterling De Bruyne Sterling they Sane, can yeah. go almost they can anywhere. all go anywhere they, um, you know they can go anywhere they want and walk in to most teams in the world at least and Pep. walk into a situation where they could be 
winning. Yeah, definitely. Any game in the world. Um, one thing that I was thinking about when I thought about how they might do this, if it turns out that they are banned for two seasons, something that is um, that is not beyond the realms of feasibility. We see it a lot these days. Two-year loans. Might mm-hmm. Sterling be yeah. loaned to? Um, you'd expect them not to give them to a Premier League rival yeah, because yeah. that's all they'd be competing for. But you know, Sterling to Atletico for two seasons, or De Bruyne to Barcelona for two seasons. Mm. These are things that Man City might be wanting to consider, especially in terms of balancing the books over the next two years as well. Because I think there are a host of elite clubs across Europe that would snap at the opportunity to um, pay their those players' wages and, and have and, them for two seasons. And if they. they most clubs would probably be confident of if they had Sterling for two years, they could cause Sterling to think, I might want to join that club permanently after that two-year loan, which is like something like lo- clubs often loan a player in if they think they can get them to want to be there. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the case of Raheem Sanjana, I mean, Raheem Sterling, there's a chance that he could be persuaded, you know, because mm. he d- he's not had much loyalty throughout his no, career I mean, going from Liverpool to Man City. He hasn't got many ties to yeah. City kind of historically. So that's something that um, we might want to consider. Another thing is Guardiola. Yeah. You know, um, last week we ran out of time because we ended up you know, chatting away as we do. And we were going to talk about who will be the next manager to go. And I think we were both sort of certain yeah. that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably going to be the next manager. We don't see any other managers getting sacked this season no, it's, because it's, it's a bit late in the game now. Too it, much of a risk, really. Maybe a mid-table team who wants to give a manager a good run at next season, but... Again, there aren't, so many, there aren't many mid-table teams at this season. They're either pushing mm. for Europe or they're yeah. fighting relegation. So I think I, I agree with you there. I think sacking a manager now would be pretty unwise. Yeah. Um, but we thought the one club that might do that might be Manchester United. Yeah, because... But yeah. now, I think it's between Guardiola and Ole, who's going to be the next manager to leave. Because Ole might be forced out by the club who wants to bring in a director of football and the director of football want to bring their man in as manager. Yeah. If they would get, and then Pep might want to leave because he wants to win a Champions League. Like most of his, most of the slander against him is that he hasn't won a Champions League since he left Barca, mm-hmm. and he might want to be doing that. And if he can't do that for two years, I don't really see a point of him staying. He's already won the Premier League two seasons in a row with ninety-eight and a hundred points. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree. There seems with you on that. to be little motivation for Guardiola to remain. At the end of the Especially day, considering though, that his players, you know, his his like Agueros and like you know, I mean, that Man City mm. squad would definitely crumble yeah. in that situation because you saw how even though Man United are a gargantuan club mm. in the grand scheme of things, in terms of history, in terms of Fergie, yeah, they've not been able to attract the best players in the world since they've fallen out of Europe. And that no, thing is, true. you fall out of Europe, but and then you're not able to attract the players that will get you into Europe. And then you're. When two years later when you haven't got many good players left getting into Europe isn't as easy as it has been yeah it's a spiral which is yeah. why I also think that it might be irrelevant to give them a points deduction assuming mm. this thing with UEFA True. is sorted out because I think the the biggest thing is the European mm. ban and maybe a transfer ban on Man City as well yeah that would be that is something that the Premier League that would be forms. horrific if they you, know, see, like, you, well. you, you know what happened to Chelsea yeah 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 I also think that because it is breaking financial fair play i.e. Breaking, breaking transfer rules or for, like financial rules that are directly tied to transfers. Yeah, true. What Chelsea did was more directly linked to transfers, yeah. though. So to be fair, so yeah, that's kind of what could happen. Uh, I uh, appeal will very often actually end up working. Quite kind of unfortunately, I guess. So I wouldn't be surprised if Man appeal doesn't banned. only work. Appeal also just puts a lot of pressure e- on UEFA. Elongates. And it makes UEFA pay more money for lawyers and things like that. Whereas, however, the difficult thing being, if if Man City get off scot free when the evidence is so clear. Financial Clubs fair play. No, financial I fair play will almost become obsolete. What's kind of what kind of is most likely in my head is that the ban will probably be reduced to a year, 
but even then, I think it could still have pretty bad consequences for but, Man City. But then some players might stick around two seasons. True. That's if you lot, think yeah. um, your peak footballing career maybe is like six, seven years when mm. you're at your best, unless you're a Messi or a Ronaldo. If you're someone like Sterling, you're not going to be as good as you are now yeah. for longer than six years. So you'd think that this is their last shot um, at that and that you're not going to waste a third of your of your prime time mm. playing for a club that's just competing for the FA Cup, the League Cup, yeah, the yeah. Community Shield and the Premier League. They've done all that. And so, um, like another few like little things that we were considering would yeah. be um, would Man City, if they won the Champions League, be able to play in the Super Cup beginning yeah. next season? Or, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or does that kind of like count for the, the previous finalists. seasons? Yeah. And um, would they then, autumn, um, if they won the Champions League but weren't allowed to compete in the Super Cup, you'd assume it would be the runners-up of the Champions League that play in the Super Cup, but would it then be Man City that go to the Club World Cup? Yeah. Or would it be the winners of the Super Cup? Because it's not a UEFA competition. competition. Yeah. Oh my goodness, there's... So lots of fun little things going on. And also, this makes it quite likely that Sheffield United will be playing Champions League football next season. Certainly gives them a very good chance. You'd you'd think, given these circumstances, Hmm. either Sheffield United or Wolves will be playing Champions League football Hmm. next season. And um, I think Sheffield United and Wolves have them the more favourable run-in than Hmm. Manchester United and Tottenham, from what I've seen. And kind of, at the end of the day, this whole thing... Man City may well be, may, be being made an example of here because it's kind of accepted that PSG and the kind of Qatari royal family are doing a very similar thing. But in both of these cases, it, it seems to basically be a sports washing operation from those royal families. Like the UAE's human rights record isn't favourable. They're part of a conflict in Yemen which has caused so many civilian deaths that they know that being part of this club and being... What, on, on Twitter, what they've done is being labelled a fairy tale. At the end of the day, to the owners, it's never been a fairy tale. The fans could be like having been enjoying it as a fairy tale. The owners have never seen it as that. They've only, I think, they've only ever seen it as a way for their reputation to get a bit better, for their country reputation in the in, yeah. in the worldwide kind of opinion to be slightly better. And I think the Qatar royal family are doing something very similar by having a fairy tale, which is not a fairy tale in any way. And I think. I it's about what do you think about when you first... Th- you, you know, it's about soft power, which is exactly. like um, power unrelated to the hard power. Like, what's the first thing you think about? What's the image of this royal family? Mm. If you're from Manchester or if you're a big football fan, when you think of um, sort of like um, um, Saudi Arabia and, and, and sort of sheikhs, the first thing you're going to think about is mega money in football, whether mm. that's Atletico Madrid or PSG that's or PSG or Man City. You just think... It's kind of like, depressing to think that, but it's true. Like, it's, it's that is like what the layman would think. You know, what I mean, you're not your mind, especially because it's not really covered in the news. Man City's in the news far more than the Yemen famine, for example. Mm, definitely. So very smart of them. Yeah, hundred percent. I will. We'll go. We'll go for a, a song around now because we have been talking for a bit. But then we'll be back to talk about. We might talk about a bit about Dan Gosling and his little bust up with John Moss this week. Uh, we could talk about. We'll think about whether we want to talk about FFP anymore because there's a bit more to talk about, but we might not bother. And um, we'll talk a bit about England's keepers and who should be the number one for the Euros. So, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of minutes. George, do you have a quiz question I for me? I do have a quiz question for you, Joel. So, Joel and I were having a little chat about most capped players. Um, and we were both watching this video this week that talked um, that took the Euro 2012 team of the tournament and it said, like, where are they now? And mm-hmm. in that, we discovered that Sergio Ramos has 170 caps. Mm-hmm. And he possibly has another 30 in him. And we just thought that was absolutely absurd to think that he's got that many caps for Spain. And so um, what um, I then decided was that I'd make my quiz question cap-related. And I made this in the 20 minutes before the show. And I did a little bit of research because I didn't know the answers myself. I had a few ideas, but didn't know the concrete answers. So I'm very proud of this question. Um, 
quiz for Joel. Go on. Joel. Hit me with it. The home nations, those being Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, who is the most capped outfield international for each of these each nations? Of them. Okay. So Scotland's most capped outfielder, Northern outfielder. Ireland's most capped outfielder, Republic of Ireland's most capped outfielder, Wales's most capped outfielder, and England's most capped outfielder. We'll see the you only after one I'm the sure of is England. <laughs> All right, see you in a minute. If you want to know something about me The blood in my veins is full of northern grey I got that northern soul, man, I got bags of it We're far from ordinary people And if you want to know something about us The hearts in our chest are full of northern love And even when we're broke, we'll always have enough We're far from ordinary people yeah. Yeah. Alright, how can I say this? It's my place where no one expects us to make it There was the stone roses and oasis But when they were big we were still babies I'm talking to the new generation And we wasn't born in the 80s They say that we don't see many places Cause nobody's left there for ages Serious love for the people that raised us Even though it got crazy Poverty stricken but that never fazed us Not one of us lazy And I'll be the first to say money don't change us Well it didn't change me I'll never forget where I came from That's cause it's the struggle that saved me On the streets we got brought up And we'd play on the Grass cover trying to be pro footballers They say there's no kings out here Nobody's got money, every one of us paupers I beg to differ, cause I see the bigger picture Every one of us kings, we could live on the street And make it a castle, fuck what they call us You can keep throwing our orders In fact bring cameras and record us We've been fighting for survival And you're gonna learn what war does Why did he call it an army? That's cause he's filled with souls There's a war going on outside and it's life you can If keep you wanna know something about me The blood in my veins is full of northern grey I got that northern soul, man, I got bags of it We're far from ordinary people If you wanna know something about us The hearts in our chest are full of northern love Even when we're broke, we'll always have enough We're far from ordinary people Okay, what do they expect? They expect us to fail this test They think we're broken, we're not blessed Like we're gonna watch our parents stress No chance, and more time Our parents are broken up anyway There's no romance And the car's been sold And that's cause there's no keeping up with their finance What did he want us to do? Skip down the road to the job centre and just hold hands? It's not easy out here Depression's a killer, especially when you've got no plans So much pain on a daily basis Would you not grab the painkiller with both hands? Shame the painkillers, weed and liquor Strong enough to wipe out the whole gang If I'm being brutally honest I don't condone it, but I understand the stealing and the violence Yeah, my room when you hear the sirens No comment, leave the room in silence That's the same boy whose mum got treated bad in the job centre on Friday Dad don't care, so he lacks the guidance It's a shame that the streets are evil But that's just where we grown up and not everything was legal But that's where we learned to be tough Most people... Brand- and we return to Two's company Here we are <laughs> Joel That was Ordinary People by Bugsy Malone Your bonus round is on most capped outfield internationals <laughs> of home nations football teams. Okay, give me them in order. Question one. <laughs> Who is Scotland's most capped outfield player? I'm going to go with Alan Hansen of the famous Liverpool team of back in the day. Incorrect. Ah, I knew it. The correct answer is... is Kenny Dalglish. Oh, sad. Both from the same era of Liverpool, though. Teammates. That's all i got. Okay, next. 
Question two: Who is Northern Ireland's most capped outfielder? I'm gonna go right. Chris Brunt's been around for absolutely ages, and I think he's still going. So I'm gonna go Chris Brunt. Incorrect. <laughs> yeah, go on. Last year, Stephen Davies is that, is overtook him? Aaron Hughes as okay. the most capped Northern Irishman, Northern Irish outfielder of all time. Was well, like, is Roy Carroll the actual most? I think it's Pat Jennings. Okay. <laughs> Number three. Yeah, you can't. Who is the Republic of Ireland's most capped outfielder? Uh, okay. Robbie Keane. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Correct. Come on. I was I was weighing up Robbie Keane. He is Keane. not just the most capped outfielder. And he's also top, top the most scorer. capped. He's like hundred. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like 136 and caps or something absurd like that. Yeah. I was, tef- I, was, I was weighing up Robbie Keane, Roy Keane and Glenn Whelan. But glad. Glad I went for the right one. All right. Next. Who is England's most capped outfielder? This was... I'm, I know it, but I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm very scared. I, one so the answer. Top, the top is Peter Shilton as goalkeeper, yes. Correct. David Beckham is second as the outfielder. Wrong. No, it's not. It's is Wayne Rooney. Oh, I knew it was one of them. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. I didn't realise he overtook him. And finally, who is oh. Wales's most capped outfielder and most capped player? Is it Gary Speed? Wrong. Gosh. It is Chris Gunter with 96 caps. Chris Gunter? What is, yeah. he, what is he doing top of that list? <laughs> I mean, okay. he broke into the um, Wales team in well, when he was 18. Oh, no. And he's the first Wales player to be there when we've gotten to major tournament. Does that make sense? So obviously Gary Speed might have played a, a fair bit, yeah, okay, but he didn't get those extra eight Euros caps. I understand, yeah. yeah. Whereas Chris Gunter, been loving it. Um... That was a, a terrible quiz for me, as most of them are. As most That's of not them are. They're that. not designed to be easy, you know? They're not designed to be easy. So, one story that came up this week that I thought was a bit interesting. Dan Gosling, not a player that is uh, mentioned very often and kind of, I think that's fair because he's not particularly good. He got in a bit of a, a, bit of a scuffle with uh, referee John Most while they played against Sheffield United. John Most said things that were apparently a bit mean. He was a little bit... Very nasty. A little bit sad. He said that apparently John Moss mocked Bournemouth for being in the relegation zone and for just not being very good. And uh, Gosling was saying he was a bit disrespectful and stuff. But like, it made me wonder, let's not pretend referees don't... Pot talk. calling the kettle black, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Very very well done. I think <laughs> that... It's the first time I've ever used that idiom successfully. <laughs> yeah. I always get it you, wrong. You were thinking about it for a bit. You're... <laughs> I, I said it slowly, not for dramatic effect, but for clarity. <laughs> to try and make sure you said it right. I think that... Um, I think the referees put up with an awful lot themselves, and I wonder whether this is actually that bad a thing. I mean, we see repeated instances of... of Footballers surrounding mm. referees, even though there are rules, swearing at it. them, getting quite aggressive at them, going up into their faces as if they want mm. to scrap. You know, um, it is definitely a case of pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. And I think that, um, as you said, Joel, when we were talking about this earlier, <laughs> footballers have always been very um, reluctant for referees to be mic'd up because we basically they basically don't want us to hear us hear them swearing and disrespecting the referee because the we whole know, game <laughs> exactly because we know what it is that 
they're saying, which mm. is just sort of, sort of vile language that's not suitable to the kind of universal yeah. audience of football and to young kids, and it would stop them being role models for lots of people. Mm. But also the benefit of them micing up means that they would not be able yeah. to If they don't want referees say saying these things, then let us mic the refs up. And also, yeah, exactly. Um, it can't be one rule for one and one rule for the it's other. It's gone so well for... Like, rugby has benefited quite a lot from the referees being mic'd up, I'd say. I don't know what rugby was like before, to be no, fair, nor do like, you. But it's very nice when they aren't mic'd up. I think when I compare it to football, I think rugby is so much clearer what the referee is thinking about his decision and what he's saying to players in terms of warnings and in terms of kind of saying, don't do that again, otherwise you And also in terms card. of, you know, sort of the conversation of who's your favourite player or which player at your club do you like the most. Mm. If the players were mic'd up, there would be more of a relationship between footballer and fan because we could decide, oh, I really like... The way they interact. Robbie Keane, because he was really lovely to the ref yeah, that yeah. time he undid his Shoot. shoelace by mistake. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> yeah, along yeah. those lines. I think it would make football a bit more personal. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the reason that, for example, Alan Wynne-Jones is considered such a huge legend in Welsh rugby is because of how respectful he is with the referee. Um, and and in the same vein that Nigel Owens is considered to be a fantastic rugby, um, rugby referee. Not just so... because he gets the decisions right, mm. because if you know the rules, you can get them right. But it's the clarity and the fairness he, he and kindness with which well, he... Yeah. And with which he betrays himself and it would hold referees accountable hold footballers accountable make the game a little bit more wholesome and also allow us to get to know our favourite and a little bit more alien clearer people, for the, more. clearer for the fans to watch definitely so complaint. but I wonder why so why Two's is company is officially hashtag, getting behind hashtag mic em up I hashtag mic em up hashtag mic em up so if you use Twitter today or tomorrow or the day after <laughs> or Instagram or Facebook or even up. if you're in a tutorial and you have to sign your name <laughs> hashtag, hashtag mic em up mic em up let's get it going I, I wonder why referees in football have always just not had the respect that they've had in rugby or in kind of cricket umpires I, I don't know where that's come from but I, I don't I don't know why that's developed I wonder maybe if it's an effect of them not being mic'd up is the fact that players know they don't have to almost because in, in cricket because you can allow your frustrations to get the better of mm, you with little to no repercussions no consequence other than a, other than a yellow card now because that rule's come in recently but yeah, but that that's also not really enforced. Even that, it's because not, I, yeah, it's like, not I think it has perfectly. to be a targeted thing, you know. Because yeah, I can to... still just go fuck if I want to. Like, yeah. You know, I can just swear. As long as you don't say it's at not the referee. directed. Whereas the thing is, if I'm near the referee, yeah. it would help me rein myself in, and it also might stop players from getting so frustrated. Mm. It might help players, you know, just keep their heads a bit mm. more. It might lead to fewer red cards for these kinds of reasons. And um, because you have to calm yourself down. Because in, in cricket, the, the, the umpires aren't mic'd up themselves, but the ground, because it's, it's a very kind of quiet game. You I can think hear cricket's a less said. relevant example just yeah. because cricket's proper posh. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's just the kind of culture that's behind cricket. And, it's about, and let's face it, there is no intensity to cricket. Cricket no, is just a couple enough. of people hitting a ball around with some sticks Whoa. and kind of doing so over a five-day period and then going in for tea. You know, it's, it's drizzling a little bit. Let us, <laughs> let, let us have a couple of days off. Go <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my right. cricket rap Very of the day. harsh. Very harsh from a Welshman um, about cricket. But um, except in the context of something like T20, mm. um, that kind of frustration you can't really compare. You can't really compare. Oh, yeah, fair, fair enough. Whereas rugby and football are more directly comparable. So yeah, we'll, we'll mic them up, the new movement, get it going. Uh, the next... Hashtag mic them up. Next on the agenda as we're going through this is who should be England's number one goal? Clearly a very... Um, great flow to this show you know things just yeah. following on from one topic to the next I a love good, the way our scattered brains are working today <laughs> but I mean Wales' number one is pretty settled for mm. the Euros I'd say I think Wayne referee Hennessy should is. keep her mic on uh, and now we should talk about goalkeepers right we'll go sure 
Wales' is number one's preset. Wayne Hennessy is a legend. He's a legend of the Welsh game. A legend of the Welsh game. Doesn't know anything about the Nazis, but... And if you're a legend, I think that needs some clarity. Wayne Hennessy got in trouble for apparently or allegedly doing a Nazi salute. In a picture that Nobody they... really knows if he did it. And he was like... He claims that he was raising his hand. <laughs> it's very... Gain the waiter's attention or something. And then... That went around and he ha- went on like an education course eventually. Mm. And <laughs> one of the words, the Royal News was that Wayne Hennessy was desperate to learn more about World War II or something like that. It's just ridiculous. Anyway. the uh, Great footballer. Wales goalkeeper is set. Uh, most, I, the only other country. a big country, fan of Corbyn. The only other country I can think of. I don't think of that. Doesn't matter. The only country I can think of who doesn't maybe have the most settled number one is like Germany, where Tischtegen is kind of fighting Neuer for it. But I think yeah, Lerv has basically very publicly said Neuer will be number one. Uh, but England, Jordan Pickford has been number one since just before the 2018 World Cup, about maybe three months before he kind of got his first few caps and was the man in the team. And um, his, his form for Everton has been pretty worrying for a while now. Last season and this season, he hasn't been at his best. The other week he let in, was last weekend, he let Christian Benteke, of all people, Christian Benteke get a goal past him, where Benteke didn't hit it very well. Straight at Pickford, basically, and Pickford just kind of didn't quite get down to it and it snuck under him and it was a poor goal. There's been a lot of flopping poor. at crosses from Jordan yeah, Pickford. His, his, cross, his cross-catching has been uh, pretty bad by all standards and his save percentages are down compared to a, most other goalkeepers in the league. And I just, I wonder whether, how long, um, who am I thinking about? Gareth Southgate can kind of stick faith with him because, of course, he's been good for England at the, for, at the World Cup. At the World Cup. You can't but as we were saying... He, saved, he made saves in a penalty shootout that keepers haven't made for England in the past. Yeah, but he, as we were saying, it's kind of being... Um, there are two caveats to make regarding mm. this um, penalty shootout. Yeah. And obviously it was a momentous moment for English football. There was kind of that... If England had beaten Colombia in extra time, you almost would think they wouldn't have had the same momentum that they yeah. had by beating them on penalties. Getting because for England, hoodoo. it's been... Yeah, yeah. yeah um, you know, because it's such a symbolic thing that the English just can't take penalties. Mm. Or they just you know can't, can't save penalties. And um, two important things to note for that is, one, just because you save a few penalties um, doesn't mean that you're the best goalkeeper no. in the world. The best, like, do you remember Jasper Sillison was, was in goal for... Um, was it or was it Stecklenburg? Yeah, I can't remember. Someone was in goal for a World Cup game for Holland, and, and they, they subbed him Krul. off to bring on Tim Krul Tim because Krul was he was at more intimidating for penalties um, and better at saving them. And he'd been researching yeah, on the bench true. where and they're likely to go. Who am I thinking of again? Willie Caballero was going to come in the league, going to come on in the League Cup final for Chelsea last year for Kepa because Willie Caballero, by all accounts, was better at saving penalties than Kepa. And that was when, in the infamous time when Kepa was like, "No, I'm staying on." But, any, but regardless, clearly managers think. Even managers accept that some goalkeepers are better at goalkeeping in a whole game, whereas some are better at saving penalties. And sure, Jordan Pickford saved some penalties, but I don't think yeah. he, he, he... He behaved kind of talismanically for most of the tournament. He was engaging with the fans very well. He was visibly passionate, which is something that fans love to see. But that doesn't mean he's the best goalkeeper. And, you're and gonna, also you're, there's like a reduced... Yeah. It's difficult to say that a goal... Um, in the modern game, where mm. st- um, everything is so stat-driven, it's really hard to say that a goalkeeper is a fantastic penalty saver. Mm. Because you're essentially... I mean, we've seen it, many examples of it, dating back to the 2006 World Cup, where Jens Lehmann takes out a little sheet with names on it and, 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 and sides to jump from. You, if you've got the right statisticians, which every team does these days, mm. you'll know where they sent their last 10 penalties. You'll know where they're likely to put it. And so you will 
where you decide to jump will be something that's kind of out of your control. You'll be told, yeah. okay, jump this, this way. For this guy, you jump this way. For this guy, you know, you go that way. You'll get a few of them right, you'll get a few of them wrong, but probabilistically, he is more likely to go that way. Yeah. So, so it's really sort of... Um, Weird to be saying that Jordan Pickford. Yeah, Yeah. it's not representative. You can't say that Jordan Pickford deserves to be the England number one because he essentially jumped where he was told to jump. If Mm. you want to trivialise it like that, and obviously there's more than just that, but also there are just um, there's just a far better choice of goalkeeper, or 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 like not necessarily better, but there's a wider choice of goalkeepers that England have available to them now. You've got not just Jordan Pickford, but you've got Dean Henderson who's been putting in fantastic, fantastic, solid performances for Sheffield United. In terms of his, his shot stopping, is has been far better than um, Pickford's this season. So, of if you pick if you pick the most common commonly played goalkeeper for every club in the Premier League, Dean Henderson is second only to Allison in the whole league save percentage. In terms of number of shots at him that he saved, that's incredibly high. He's done incredibly well. Whereas Pickford is second bottom behind only only Kepper has done worse. Yeah, and we know that England and have no concerns with going forward. You know, you've got Sterling, you've got yeah, Rashford, we, I don't and know you've got dis- Sancho. I don't think distribution should be the biggest factor. Anymore. No, because we, um, you are not going to be reliant on on counter-attacking mm. for that kind of thing. But what, but what is important is keeping clean sheets. Having because a shot-stopper. Because you can guarantee that Rashford or Sterling or Sancho will whoever, score yeah. a goal. Yeah. But you can't... Or Vardy. Yeah. But, but you can't guarantee that um, you know, England are not solid at the back, as we no. um, as we saw in the Nations League. Um, if our full you can't are... guarantee that that they will keep a clean sheet. So you mm. need the goalkeeper, not that's going to be the one for saving the penalties, but the one who's most likely just to keep it out. Mm. And and Dean Henderson is a formidable figure in that sense and deserves a shot. Maybe it's because he, um, although obviously Sheffield United are massively outperforming Everton this season. Um, he comes from a smaller club yeah. in that sense, or it's because he's a loney, so it's weird to yeah. have a loney being number one but, for your country. Um, whatever sort of subjective or yeah. or side reasons may be existing, there's no denying that he is probably the most informed, English best English goalkeeper in the world. <laughs> or if in, our, or in if the our Premier fullbacks League. at the Euros are Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ben Chilwell, and then our centre-backs are Harry Maguire and Joe Gomez, that's not... It's very, like, it's very attacking minded. It's very attacking minded defense. One of Maguire's main attributes is quality on the ball. I mean, he is very good defensively. I don't think I'm going to doubt that. But they're not a solid defense. They're not. Uh, they're not a defense everyone fears. Like Spain. There will be saves day, to like, be made. Exactly. And I think. I think. Two's company is starting the movement. <laughs> Henderson for England number one. Because we just. I think I agree with George that shot stopping at this moment of England's kind of trajectory is the most important thing obviously Tom Heaton would have been coming into the conversation but sadly he's got he's out um, of the Euros now um, always been a favourite of mine um, um, since he played for Cardiff mm. um, got a signed shirt of his wow. actually yeah but um, it's a shame that he's been ruled out yeah and hopefully he'll be able to get the number one shirt back off Pepe Reina when he does return next season yeah you'd hope so and it, especially the case if Aston Villa get relegated yeah because you'd lo- you, you, you'd you would think that Pepe Reina won't be playing championship football even it, though he's 37 years old yeah Heaton's, Heaton's experience also even if Heaton wasn't going to be number one to have in the dressing room Heaton's experience would have been invaluable I wouldn't um, I wouldn't be shocked if he did fly with the squad yeah that would be I think but I'd, he, he wouldn't be necessarily useful. be in the squad I also you think could, I think Nick Pope also deserves a mention. I would almost put Nick Pope also above Pickford in terms of form at the moment. Yeah. But I think if we're going to pick one, which you should for a, for a Euros, you shouldn't yeah. have. Shouldn't, like, you shouldn't be in the case of, was it the 2010, 2010 World Cup? Rob where Green and David James were both fighting for the Where England just couldn't shirt. decide who... We played both of them during the tournament, which is just not 
are not a stable weight. Because how as, about Joe Hart? Should we throw Joe Hart in the mix? He should not be thrown in any mixes. <laughs> Joe Hart in the mixer. There should be no mixes. In the mixer. That Joe Hart should be in. Uh, you were talking about the relationship between the centre back and his goalkeeper. Yeah. And that kind of also you said that so, go. Okay. So yeah. So, said. <laughs> yeah. Instead of recounting what I said, I might as well say it myself. Um, what I was saying is this idea that. Although Jordan Pickford may have been performing in an England shirt, even aside from the penalty shootout rose-tinted glasses thing, he was good in the World Cup. And that's something that England fans remember, and it'll be something that the English setup remembers. And if you favour a goalkeeper, you're not going... Um, unless he performs drastically awful in the league, if you've got your number one, you want to try and keep that stable. However, with players that are in and out of the England squad, especially with something as unconcrete as the English defence and you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold Ben Chilwell and and, and Joe Gomez three favourites to be in that starting four at the back for England three of whom were not Mm. regulars in the 2018 World Cup and three of whom are still even Harry Maguire was Harry Maguire yeah he was was, their their positions aren't set in stone Trent if if Trippier keeps looking good and if Stones picks up form or Michael Keane picks up form their positions aren't set but But yeah yeah, carry on so the point being they're not going to have that memory of of Pickford being a great keeper to work with and saving our asses in the World Cup you know they're they're not going to have that mentality what they're going to be thinking is I want to have a keeper that I have confidence in because having played obviously at a very 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 low level um, (laughs) um, at centre back you're going to um, if you don't trust your goalkeeper, or if you don't have confidence in your goalkeeper, you start to make more erratic decisions in defence. You're less confident in your positioning um, because you you're not going to pass it back to your keeper. Look at someone like Harry Maguire, as you're saying, known for his passing abilities. Mm. That's sometimes going to involve going backwards. But if yeah. you don't trust your goalkeeper, if you don't think he's the right person there, every time you look back at the sticks, you're going to be like, "Why isn't Hendog there?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And when when to kind of. Push like when to if a if a, if a counter attack's coming at you when to go out a player when to drop off like those decisions are going to be more you don't want to have to factor in your goalkeeper in those decisions you want to be able to just you want to just be able to do what you have to do and yeah I agree with you that's kind of worrying that you might have to bring that into your thinking so yeah we think we think Henderson and should we very quickly hit Wickham Weekly and Kubo Corner yeah very quickly um Connor Wickham came on in the sixty eighth minute this weekend for Sheffield Wednesday as they were trounced 3-0 at home by I believe Blackburn mm-hmm. Sheffield Wednesday who were playoff hopefuls a few weeks ago as we've seen in how tight the championship is they of course may return to being so but it's quite clear that Gary Monk's side have fallen away from the pack a bit and will have to make up ground if they wish to make a promotion charge perhaps a start would be to start Wickham yes put him in we, we're going we're gonna to cause all sorts of movements in this show start Connor Wickham Connor he deserves it after and that, Wickham we're really sorry that you're that. on the bench that's not say. But if you're out there. <laughs> After that, that one goal he scored for Sunderland against Man City, he deserves it. That's how it is. Certainly. Uh, Kubo. <laughs> He's fit and ready. Fit and ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Came on in, I think, the 50 That's seconds. another one for the regular listeners yeah, out there. Can we love our regulars? If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mum. <laughs> if Takafusa Kubo came on for Mallorca to see them beat someone yesterday. Uh, he came on in the 52nd minute. They scored their winner in the 63rd. He didn't assist He didn't it. assist it, although but his being on the pitch I'm sure, almost definitely drove me off to sure success. I'm sure it made the difference. Scared the buttocks off the defence <laughs> of the opposition, clearly. And another thing I just felt like talking about for a minute. When, yeah. we, when we were looking at... This was um, an, Oh, right, OK. When we were looking at the, <laughs> the most capped internationals. internationals. To see how much Ramos had to do to... Yeah, to overtake the, the current winners. One player who really just shocked me to be on there. Joint 14th place with 163 caps and still going strong. 
Mine or Figueroa? For Honduras, I believe. For Honduras, indeed. He is 36, so I don't know if he'll quite overtake Sergio Ramos, but... A titan of the game. He, no doubt. No doubt that player who never knew whether he wanted to play left-back or centre-back for Stoke and Wigan. He is brilliant. He's at Houston Dynamo these days. That goal from the halfway line. Oh, my goodness. That international partnership with Wilson Palacios. <laughs> yeah, the only two we've ever heard of. It's just worth mentioning them. Uh, hi, George and Mum. How you doing? Hi. hi so, mom. Happy <laughs> birthday for yesterday, Mum. And it's, with that... Uh, shall we call it there? Probably we should call it a day. And remember, hashtag mic em up. Hashtag mic em up for those referees. They're going to be mic'd up in no time. We finish with a Two's Company classic. We're going to finish with the, the classic ending. It's an anthem of the game. Man City won't be hearing it for a while. It is the <laughs> Champions League. <laughs> See you later. See you Brexit next week. means Brexit. <laughs> See you next week. listening to Star, standrewsradio.com. Check out our news section.